people are never going to understand how critical this particular time in history is. We have $7.7 trillion worth of economic events that are going to hit America in the gut. This is An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun, President and CEO of Private Wealth Consultants, the free market voice, free market voice. of the U.S., enhancing and protecting private wealth. Gary Rathbun has over 30 years of experience in making the best choices for you to keep more of what you earn. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. This is Greetings and welcome again to An Economy of One. I am your host, Gary Rathman. You know, way back, way back when I was in college, back when they had one-room colleges, I understand that, one of my professors said to me, and I'll never forget it, he said, you know, there's no end to the good do-gooders will do with other people's money. And I've never forgotten that because it's always been relevant. Ever since I heard it, it has been relevant. Now, C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, is a little more eloquent in essentially saying the same thing. In an essay he wrote called The Humanitarian Theory of Punishment, he says, of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It may be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at one point be satiated. But those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. Now, you think about this. Think about what the government is doing. From the Federal Reserve to Congress to the White House. Obamacare, for instance, has provided health insurance to the few and major costs and trouble to the rest of us. Dodd-Frank legislation, another 2,200 pages of brilliance, has restricted borrowing and created tens of thousands of bankless Americans. They spent $800 billion on a stimulus program for what? The EPA turned the Animus River in Colorado into a mustard-like toxic mess. Minus, of course, the multi-billion dollar settlement that somebody would have squeezed out of a private corporation or public corporation like BP it did for its uh, Gulf of Mexico spill. Thousands of kids have revolted against Michelle Obama's school lunch mandates. And middle class Americans see fees added to their electric bills to pay for windmills and grant $7,500 tax credits to rich Americans so they can buy a Tesla. And it goes on and on and on. Once again, there's no end to the good do-gooders will do with other people's money. The EPA is one of those. I mean, they destroyed that river for a long time, and five days later, they said, oh, it's back to pre-contamination levels already. I saw an article this week by uh, the American Thinker about federal bureaucrats warning that pumpkins cause global warming. There's 1.3 billion pounds of pumpkins used at this time of year for jack-o'-lanterns. 
that eventually end up in the trash and eventually end up in municipal solid waste sites, okay, landfills. That solid waste, these pumpkins, these toxic pumpkins, decompose and and create a greenhouse gas called methane. And we talked earlier, methane is 20 times more toxic than carbon dioxide in destroying the atmosphere and creating the greenhouse effect. Speaking of the greenhouse effect, you see that the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, is refusing to comply with a subpoena from the Science Committee Chair, Lamar Smith. Now, Lamar Smith is essentially trying to find out if NOAA is doctoring their reports. NOAA says that uh, there has not been a 15-year pause in global warming, according to their research. But all, all other scientific research says there has been. And they won't turn over the data. They say their, their research is objective, that their scientists are not swayed by political or even their own opinion. But they won't turn over the data to prove otherwise. Al Gore came out this week and said CO2 makes us stupid. Finally, finally, part of the global warming climate change dialogue narrative that I believe. I think all of these climate change alarmists are stupid. I think they are breathing in too much CO2. It amazes me that these scientists, these organizations like NOAA, these politicians like Al Gore, all seem to miss the fact that they're expelling CO2 also. They're polluting the atmosphere by speaking. Maybe they should try holding their breath for a few weeks and see if that helps the change. I think it would. I think it truly, truly would. But this research by a Harvard School of Physical Health, that makes you feel confident, said that CO2 has a negative effect on cognitive abilities and decision-making. That would explain a lot, wouldn't it? That explains a lot that they are breathing in CO2 and it's making them dumber. The EPA is one of those those three-letter government organizations that just light my fuse. Come on, really? Pumpkins? We're going to have a law against pumpkins? Maybe we'll have a law on how we we dispose of pumpkins. Read earlier, there's a shortage of pumpkins this season, so it probably shouldn't be much of an issue. Certainly not like it's been in past years. But pumpkins? Really? Is that where we're at? Is that what the federal government, the Department of Energy, spends their money on? Obviously, they've got too much time on their hands. Very clear that... They want to instill more fear into the American people. And sadly, some people will buy into this. That's the sad thing is people will buy into it. And next year, 
they won't buy a pumpkin for their kid. They won't have a jack-o'-lantern. They'll probably have a, uh, a plastic one, not realizing that plastic is made out of petroleum products also. So uh, it, it's just fascinating to me that EPA can have a huge toxic mess and poo-poo it. It's no big deal. No big deal. Five days later, the, the river is as clean as it was prior to EPA screwing up and, and dumping, releasing all this heavy metal toxic waste. It's amazing to me that NOAA, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, can refuse to comply with a subpoena and get away with it. Nobody will do nothing. Nobody will uh, call them on it. Yeah, they'll jump up and down and spit nails a little bit uh, to the press. But the reality is nothing will change. The narrative won't change. we got to have global warming. we got to have climate change. There's too much regulation, too much control of our lives and power revolving around that to give it up now. Al Gore is out there with a straight face saying CO2 makes you stupid. I mean, that, that's really, like I said, that's the few uh, comments that I can believe. There's enough dumb people out there. Got to be a reason. Up next, I'm going to chat with Dr. Desmond Lockman from the American Enterprise Institute. You want to stay with me for that. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Joining me now is Dr. Desmond Lockman. He's a resident fellow of the American Enterprise Institute and a former deputy director in the International Monetary Fund's Policy Development and Review Department. Dr. Lockman, welcome to An Economy of One. Thank you. Good I, to be with you. I appreciate you joining me this evening. We've got uh, uh, we get a lot of questions uh, all the time about the IMF. And I wanted to touch on two things. Uh, you recently um, wrote a column uh, about the IMF's uh, global economic growth uh, warnings and that uh, our Federal Reserve uh, Open Market Committee should uh, kind of uh, take heed to uh, what they're saying about the global economic outlook. Uh, well, what happened... A couple of weeks ago, as the IMF made its forecast for 2015-2016 for the global economy, okay. and what they forecast is that growth in 2015 is going to be the lowest that it's been since the 2008 recession. So they're forecasting relatively weak growth, and what they're talking as well about are downside risks to their forecast that could come from China, could come from the emerging markets, okay. could come from any variety of sources, a resurgence in the European crisis. And they're saying that we're going to have a very weak global economy, at least for the next few months. 
And they're advising the Federal Reserve not to be in a rush to raise interest rates against that kind of background. But evidently, judging from this afternoon's meeting of the Federal Reserve, Mm -hmm. their statement is indicating that they're no longer very concerned about the global economy. And my view is that the Federal Reserve could very well be mistaken that we could have a weak global economy and a strong dollar, and that could constitute a very strong headwind for the United States economic recovery. And it could also put downward pressure on price inflation. So Mm -hmm. it would seem foolhardy for the Fed to rush ahead with an interest rate hike that they might subsequently have to reverse. Now, the the dollar has has gained in strength about 15% or so over the last know, 12, 15 months. Um, one would normally think that a strong dollar is, is a good thing, but yet the way the world operates today, a uh, strong dollar is really affecting a lot of different countries, mainly uh, affecting commodity-based economies and uh, emerging markets, isn't it? Well, that's true that what we've got is we've got a very big problem in the emerging market economies in that their corporate sector has borrowed over the last few years as much as $3 trillion. I say that advisedly, $3 trillion, and they've done that in dollar-denominated debt. So as their currencies weaken against the dollar, it puts their companies in a very tough position And it's deepening the crisis in places like Brazil, Russia, Turkey, South Africa, places that combined with China constitute now 35 percent of the global economy. So that is one way that a strong dollar affects us is that it weakens performance in the emerging market economies that are a big market. But it also makes it more difficult for United States exporters to compete against Japan or Europe, which are deliberately cheapening their currencies by doing what we did before, printing a lot of euros or a lot of Japanese yen in the case of the Bank of Japan. Now, all of the quantitative easing we've done uh, over the last several years, essentially uh, printing money, why has that uh, not made the dollar weaker um, I mean, that's, that's kind of an inflationary uh, characteristic, but yet the dollar keeps getting stronger. Well, what happened initially when we were doing the quantitative easing is that the dollar was actually cheapening. But the Federal Reserve has stopped its quantitative easing about, must be now about 15 months. Mm-hmm. And while the Federal Reserve has stopped doing the quantitative easing, The European Central Bank began quantitative easing at the beginning of this year, and they're now talking about stepping it up in December. The same thing is with Japan, that since we had Abenomics, the Japanese are printing yen at a faster rate than we were printing dollars, considering the size of the Japanese economy. So what I'm saying is that as the United States is stopping the quantitative easing and talking about raising interest rates, the exact opposite is occurring in Japan and in Europe. So what you'd expect, and that's exactly what we're getting, is over the last year and a half, two years, we've seen something like a 20% 
depreciation of the yen, and we've seen an even larger depreciation of the euro. The euro used to be at one dollar forty. Mm-hmm. Uh, this afternoon, it was below one ten. So we've seen massive movements in the currencies of those countries that are now printing money at a time that we've stopped printing money. So really, their currencies are getting weaker, causing our dollar to be stronger. Absolutely. And they're doing this with, they're not saying they're doing it with the intention, but that's clear that that's what they're trying to do, is they're trying to jumpstart their economies by having cheap currencies that give them a competitive edge in the global market. And my view is that the Fed should really be anticipating that, that we're going to see continued weakness in the euro and in the yen. We've now got the Chinese having moved their currency a bit. The United States is going to have trouble competing global markets. So to be raising interest rates at this time, one's really taking a risk. We're talking with Dr. Desmond Lockman. He's a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute and former deputy director in the International Monetary Fund's Policy Development and Redu- uh, Review Department. Uh, Dr. Lockman, what should, if, if, if your recommendation is that the Federal Reserve uh, shouldn't be real anxious to raise interest rates, uh, what should they do? Well, at this stage, I would think that what they should do is they should sit on their hands, they should see how this global situation plays out, and basically do nothing right now. You know, so I would right. think that we're really needing to have uh, the Fed being patient because the last thing that the Fed wants to do is it wants to raise interest rates in December and then find by March or June that the U.S. economy is slowing a lot because of developments abroad, and then they'd have to reverse themselves, which would make them look absolutely ridiculous. Right. Okay. Well, I'm all in favor of uh, anybody with that much power doing nothing. So uh, uh, even doing less than nothing would would satisfy me. Coming up, more of my discussion with Dr. Desmond Lockman, resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Gary Rathbun, an economy of one. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. We're talking with Dr. Desmond Lockman, resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute and former deputy director in the International Monetary Fund's Policy Development and Review Department. Uh, while I got you, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the uh, uh, Chinese yuan uh, being considered by the MFF uh, to be included in the uh, special drawing rights. Uh, I read recently that they've uh, put that off to 2016, uh, maybe as far as that actually happening. But uh, is the IMF, uh, is that pretty much a a decision already made that the yuan is going to be included in the SDRs? It looks like the yuan is on track to being included in the SDR, and that would be a big boost to the Chinese who want to have recognition for their currency 
who want to have it as an international reserve currency mm-hmm. so that other central banks would be holding the one in their international reserves. But things could go wrong between now and the end of 2016 because there are many signs that the Chinese economy is in serious difficulty. They're having trouble transitioning to a different growth model. And what we're also seeing is we're seeing a massive amount of money leave China that over the last year, China has lost in international reserves around about $500 billion, which is an indication that people within China aren't too happy with what is going on with that economy, and they're shipping their money out while the going is good. Now, when you say they're shipping money out uh, of the country, is that money held there in yuan, or is it held in another currency like dollars or euros or something like that? What they're trying to do is they're trying to get their money out of China and into places like the United States in dollars because they're afraid that the one is going to fall a lot or that the Chinese economy is not going to do very well. So they're wanting to be in a place where their assets are a lot safer. So they're very much into the property markets not only in the United States, but in Australia, in the United Kingdom, they're really moving their money out of China at a rate that is quite alarming. Mm -hmm. They've still got a lot of international reserves. They're still sitting on around about $3.5 trillion in international reserves. But it's quite a big deal when you see $500 billion leaving a country within the space of a year. You know, let's step back just a let's step back just a minute and explain to us what is a special drawing right and why are they important? Well, one doesn't want to overstate its importance, but it is a unit of currency that the IMF created that has a basket of the world's strongest currencies. So included in the IMF's basket of strong currencies that are supposed to be used Amongst central banks, there's an account within the IMF where they created some of these units. Mm-hmm. Consists the Japanese yen, the United States dollar, pound sterling, and the euro. So for China to be joining that group of currencies, that would be recognition of China's growing importance in the global economy, that China would be considered as having a currency that was strong enough, that was widely used enough, that people wanted to hold, that the IMF could include it in this basket of very select currencies uh, that it uses to determine this international reserve currency. Why, why Why would that be a big deal for China? I mean, what what's What's in it for them other than the recognition or the acceptance of a world currency? I mean, they're part of the reserve currency. Are they they going to benefit on the the world's credit markets or or anything like that? One doesn't want to overstate how much they'd benefit. They'd certainly gain in prestige. Mm -hmm. And what they're also hoping is that prestige will induce central banks of other countries like Australia or Malaysia or any of the countries in Asia 
to hold the Chinese currency as part of their international reserves. So by being included in the SDR, the Chinese are hoping that there'll be increased demand for their currency, which gives them a benefit. If countries are holding your currency, they are, in effect, allowing you to get goods from them just for exchange of a piece of paper. So the Chinese are hoping to compete eventually with countries like the United States and countries like uh, the European Union Mm. to have their currency alongside it as a very important currency that allows them to become more of a financial power in the global economy. Does that, if if the one eventually become part of SDRs, um, does that have a negative effect on the other currencies in SDR, uh, specifically the dollar? Yes, because what we're doing is we're competing against them. So this isn't a game where everybody wins, that if somebody wins, somebody loses at their expense. So if China gains, it would mean that the United States currency would be diminished in prestige on the international markets that then have to compete with the renminbi. I'm not particularly worried about it because my view is that the Chinese economy has got clay feet and we're going to see the Chinese having great difficulty sustaining their economic growth over the next few years. And we're very likely to see China have some sort of financial crisis within the next few years. How confident, uh, I mean, you're on the inside, you've spent your your career uh, dealing with these things. How confident are you that the valuation put on uh, the Chinese yuan is accurate. I mean, it, I don't get the impression that it really free floats in the the uh, currency in the forex market. Is is the valuation out there pretty accurate, or is it heavily manipulated by the the Chinese government? You're totally right to be skeptical about the Chinese because that is a currency that is very very heavily manipulated. So for many years, what the Chinese have been doing is they've been preventing their currency from getting strong because they wanted to have a competitive advantage to boost their export sector. So they've intervened like crazy in the currency market, preventing the currency from going up. What they've been doing is just been buying dollars to keep their currency weak and to keep the dollar strong. And what they did in the process is they built up as much as $4 trillion in international reserves. So this is a currency that is heavily, heavily manipulated. They did free it up a little bit in August, but they let it move by something like 2%. Mm. But this is not a market-determined exchange rate by any stretch of the imagination. This is something that is very heavily regulated. Does the IMF take that into consideration in in deciding whether to include it in SDRs, or don't they really care that it's it's heavily manipulated? Well, that's part of the reason that the Chinese moved a bit in August, because the IMF would like to see that currency more market-determined. But basically, all that the Chinese did is they let it move by less than 2%. The IMF 
seems to be under political pressure to accept the currency because it's not a currency that is has its value freely determined. And it's also a currency that people can't freely move it in and out. They've still got a lot of capital controls. And despite those capital controls, people are somehow shipping out a boatload of money. So what my expectation is, is that we'll see the Chinese put even more controls on that system. And it's not clear that by the end of next year, China will be part of the SDR. It'll be something to follow. We've been, to, we've been talking with Dr. Desmond Lockman, a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute and former deputy director in the International Monetary Fund's Policy Development and Review Department. Dr. Lockman, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I know we take time away from your family at this time of day, and uh, I hope that uh, we can keep uh, up on this story and chat with you again soon. My, my pleasure. Good to have, talk to you. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Coming up next, I don't know if you caught this or not, but it's been 14 years, 14 anniversary of something you probably haven't thought about. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. That was Dr. Desmond Lockman from the American Enterprise Institute. Really enjoy talking to him. I hope we can have him back soon. Interesting guy. Well, I don't know if you noticed or not. I didn't see much in the press, didn't see much in the news about this. But this last week was the 14th anniversary of something very special in your life. That's right. 14 years since the USA Patriot Act was passed. Hard to believe it's been that long, but yet it's not hard to believe it's been that long. That was six weeks after 9-11. 9-11-2001, when we were attacked by terrorists on our own soil, murdering over 3,000 American citizens. I will say this, I lost friends on that day. I had friends in the World Trade Center that worked there. Never saw them again. Congress, in reaction to that, six weeks later, passed the USA Patriot Act. 132 pages of legislation. Pretty hefty and pretty amazing when you think about it that they passed that just six weeks after the 9-11 attacks. Almost makes you wonder if they didn't have some of that legislation ready to go already, waiting for a crisis. You know, you can't ever let a good crisis go to waste. Here's something I'm not sure everybody knows. The USA Patriot Act. I thought it was called the Patriot Act. But actually, USA Patriot is an acronym. You ready for this? It stands for Uniting and Strengthening America by Providing Appropriate Tools Required to Interdict and Obstruct Terrorism. 
I'd like to be the guy that has the government job of making up acronyms. That's pretty sophisticated, you got to admit. You got to admit, pretty official sounding. But how have we become more united and stronger by the Patriot Act? How have we become more united by allowing warrantless searches? By vastly expanding the powers of secret courts and completely doing away with entire sections of the United States Constitution. Patriot Act has pretty much eliminated our Fourth Amendment rights and some of our Fifth Amendment rights. Furthermore, it's 132 pages of pretty much gibberish. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. This is from page 20 of the text of the legislation. Quote, Section 3123, subsection D, subsection 2 of Title 18, United States Code, is amended, A, by inserting, quote, or other facility, unquote, after, quote, the line, and B, by striking, quote, or who has been ordered by the court, unquote, and inserting, quote, or applied, or who is obligated by the order, unquote. You got that? You got it? There might be a quiz later. Is that supposed to mean anything? I didn't understand any of that, and I've read it several times. The language is totally mystifying, and not by accident, by the way. By the way, do you know what this section does? This precise section is part of what authorizes the government to monitor your phone and Internet communications. This is the created, essentially, a police state in the land of the free. Sadly, this was under George W. Bush. I'm not going to blame President Obama for this one yet. I will blame him for signing multiple bills into law to extend or even expand the USA Patriot Act's powers. Several of these provisions were set to expire, and... Congress presented new legislation to President Obama to extend and expand, and he signed it. We have lost tremendous personal liberty under the U.S. Patriot Act. It's funny because George W. Bush said that terrorists hated America for our freedoms. Well, apparently, President Bush and now President Obama have solved that problem. They're eliminating our freedoms. So terrorists shouldn't hate us anymore, you think? This goes back to where I started today, talking about C.S. Lewis saying the worst tyranny is the tyranny of moral busybodies doing things for our own good. There are millions of people, millions of Muslims, immigrating into Europe. What happens in Europe will happen here eventually. But Austria, I don't know if you've ever been to Austria, beautiful country, absolutely beautiful country. Austria is running out of guns. Many countries, many people in Europe have picked on Americans, berated Americans, for 
our constitutionally protected right to bear arms. Well, all of a sudden, people in Europe, and specifically Austria, are waking up. Waking up. I don't know if you've seen any of the stories, any of the videos of immigrants coming into these countries, but they're coming in in mass. In mass. People in Austria are concerned. They're concerned about their own safety and their family safety because the the rhetoric that is coming out of these groups is they're not immigrating to Europe. They are invading Europe. They want Muslim law to be enacted in Europe. They want their religion to be the dominant power in Europe. And they'll probably get it. They'll probably get it. But there are few people, there are a few people that are saying, we want to protect ourselves. Now, people in the Netherlands, people, even people in Germany, it's virtually impossible to get a gun. Virtually impossible. Self-defense is not a reason for buying a gun. They're also selling tons, or people are buying tons, of pepper spray. Can't have a gun. I'm going to have some pepper spray. Well, the first Muslim immigrant that gets sprayed with pepper spray, that'll be banned. That will be banned. And, of course, you always have the do-gooder journalists and experts, professors, that kind of stuff, uh, saying that something is very wrong here if Austrians are buying guns to protect themselves from migrants. Yeah, something is very wrong. Not what this journalist thinks, but something the rest of us think. He goes on to say, shotguns will not, after all, solve any immediate problems Quite the contrary, he said. Uh, Let me help you. Shotgun will solve a couple of problems. This is why it's important, why it's critical that we maintain and strengthen our Second Amendment rights. The only thing between us and being a victim is us. You are the first responder. I'm Gary Rathman. I want you to have a great day. Be an individual. Be self-reliant. Be an economy of one. We'll see you next time. This is our country. The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor. 